Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Selah Fellowship podcast for our Sunday services. Please open your Bibles as we dive into our study this morning. Amen. If you would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. As always, I found in pastoring, which I've been doing that a little bit of a time now, um, when you need him, that's where he is. And God preordained and knew where we'd be this morning in Luke chapter 9. And even as, you know, I was discussing it with Pastor Austin, and it's like, well, not really sure where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do, and knew where we were supposed to be. And as I dive into it, it's exactly what I needed. So I'm trusting it's exactly what you need this morning also. It's kind of a cool chapter because it kind of brings a, not really a conclusion, because, of course, Luke goes on for quite a few more chapters. But it's... um. It's a bringing together kind of a summary of what chapter 8 was. In the beginning of chapter 8, you remember where the, the parable of the, the sower and the seed was. You know, Jesus was teaching his disciples about faith, how the word of God is sown and how it's received and how it grows or how it's strangled out. It doesn't grow and the things that go wrong with it, right? And then last week, as I finished it up, we were finishing what it looks like to have that faith um, kind of exampled as Jesus, you know, just particularly last week, right? A woman with an issue of blood instantly healed. A girl who was dead and gone instantly raised. So the idea of not only the healing that takes place in us by the word of God, but also the restoration of life, right? Life abundant at the end of the chapter. Well, now in chapter 9 then, Jesus um, basically says, Now, disciples, go do it. I've taught you what it looks like. I've given you the tools. I've thrown the seed. I've... I've shown you, I've example to you, now go do it. Same way I teach my class. I explain the principles of drawing, I example it on the board, and then I tell my students, go do it. Homework. You know, nobody likes it, but it is part of what it is to especially to walk the Christian life. And that's exactly, effective teaching equals effective ministry. You know, we teach the word of God. This is where faith begins. This is what builds our faith, encourages our faith, keeps our faith, right? And as we then teach it, explore it, read it, and I'm not talking about me up here just talking at you. I'm talking about you in the word of God receiving that, bearing it in your heart, and then going out and, you know, feeling like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing other people do this. I'm watching other leaders as they walk. I'm around the Christian body, so I see what it's supposed to be like. So now I'm going to go do it too. And that's exactly how ministry starts happening. The teaching, the exampling, the going and doing, right? So we love that. So Jesus has calmed the storms all by faith. He's freed the captives. Remember the demoniac that he freed? And then he healed and raised a girl. So then we begin... Chapter 9, he called the 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staff nor bag nor bread nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So here it is, disciples. Now Jesus says, go. And again, a disciple, if you say, I'm a disciple of Christ, right? The word breaks down to a learner, a pupil, 
to learn in a way. It's a way now that I'm learning. And Jesus, again, has taught them. He's example to them. And now as disciples, I've learned this way. I'm supposed to go out and exercise it. Again, that's why we spend time in the Word of God. What does it really look like to be a disciple of Christ? Remember, he knows his disciples. They know him by his, by his voice. And that's truly where we want to be, right? He sends them out with power. It is dunamis. It's the Holy Spirit power that the disciples were told to tarry in Jerusalem till it came upon them. So this is now that little epi experience only individually. So this isn't the, it comes upon you, now it's upon you, go with it. It is, I'm giving it to you to go out and do this specific work. Because that, of course, wasn't fully going to happen until after his death and resurrection, where then that's the, you know, the spirit, the comforter now with us all the time. But then he gives them also authority. The word authority means privilege, delegated influence. So you must understand as a believer, Spirit of God living in you, Spirit of God hopefully on you as you go to do the work of the Lord, you do have an influence. That's why he says, yo, I go with you. Uh, you know, as he sends them out at the end of Matthew, you know, behold. I think it's behold. It's not yo. Sorry. A little bit of, <laughs> little bit of my Chicago thing coming in there. But um, as he sends us out, right, he goes with us by his Spirit to do this. But there's an influence we have. And you know what it's like. You're in a conversation. You're in a place of work. You're around people even in your family. And whatever they're doing, whatever they're talking, however they're going in a direction that isn't Christ-like, all of a sudden you become that conviction or that influence, that word, that knowledge, that, wow, how did you know? And what did you... that's, what, that's what we're supposed to be about. So that's what I see here that he's telling. Now, he gives them influence over all demons, all diseases to be cured. Now, although we have that, truly within us, right? Greater is he that's in us than he who's in the world. And we certainly can pray to the Father who is the healer to work through us with those gifts of healing. This doesn't mean that we get to go around miraculously healing everybody and we're just going to go around casting out every demon. Now, if God calls you to that place, puts you in that place, and empowers you for that place, you got what you need, that you've got that power. Now, not to say that he would ever leave you and not be with you, but there are those times when it's, it talks about in the gifts of the Spirit that he delegates as he wills. He knows what you need, and he'll be there for that day, right? So then he sends them out. Notice, though, it is to preach first and then to heal. The word of God comes first, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then through that comes a healing. Now, you know, there's a supernatural healing. I'm laying my hands on you. I'm praying for you. And God intervenes, and you are healed. But there's also a healing balm that comes from just the word of God, believing the word of God, now adjusting your life to follow the word of God and believe what he's done for you and who you are in him. And all of a sudden, there's a healing. There's an empowerment. There's not those hurts from the past. There's not those illnesses that come upon you because of the stress or the worry or the bitterness. It's it's gone because you're in the word and you're submitting yourself to him him in his word right and 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 again when it says preaching don't think of the preacher it's not the preaching because you know sometimes you're like stop preaching at me i mean you can say that to your spouse or anybody you know but the word preach means to proclaim or to tell others or to announce news good news so preaching is really something that happens much more in your life than it even does in mine being privileged to be behind this pulpit and share the word of god with you Every time you are having a conversation where the gospel is being presented, the good news, you are 
preaching. You are being able to share that good news. That's what the word is telling us here, right? And again, when you then preach, when you're sharing those words, you should expect healing to come. You should expect, expect freedom to come. You should expect faith to be built as you're giving. And I'm sure you've had those conversations where you're like, man, that was a really good talk I just had with that person. And somebody goes, what'd you say? And you go, I don't know, but I know it was really good, right? I, I can't even remember. Because at that moment, God has just used you to pour as a vessel his spirit through. And, you, and, and you're just like, you, you ever had that conversation? And you're taking notes and going, oh my gosh, this is really good. To yourself, you know, you're like, I got to write this down, you know, because I can't believe that just came out of my mouth. But that's God's spirit working through you. You are alive in him. You're a vessel for him. You're a preacher for him, right? So keep that very much in mind that it's something that we always do. Jesus sends them out. He says, basically, look, travel light. Don't take a lot of stuff. Now, he's, of course, speaking to his disciples who he's sending out. And we're going to see how they come back right in a minute but as basically those missionaries going. And he goes, travel light. And I'm like, well, you know, that's, you know, when, when I was back in Chicago, I flew back here for Miss Berta's memorial. I traveled light. I just had my briefcase. It was the best flight I'd ever had. No checking in, no checking out, no overhead, nothing. I was just like, I felt like super businessman. You know, I just carry my briefcase when I go, you know. Well, because I was coming home, so everything was already here, you know. But the, the joy of being, I didn't even have a toothbrush. You know, of course, you, ha- you do have to pray that you don't get laid over somewhere. But I, it was such a blessing to be able to travel that light. And that's what God is saying. It's like, look, don't take a lot of stuff you think you have to have. Trust me. Trust me. You know, really, what do I promise you? A, a roof over your head, food in your belly, and peace. Peace with me. Rest in me as you go. So that's what he's basically saying is, is, is trust in me. You know, and wherever you go, whatever house you come into, stay there. Don't shop around. Don't, don't call the church and, you know, and you're, hey, you, know, you got some place that I can stay? Um, so what are the accommodations like? Do I get my own restroom? Is there, you know, it's a big room, small room? Is that, do they got some money? Do they, you know, not that anybody would do that. But in that day, they did. You know, there was no Motel 6. You went to a village and you were going to stay in the town square, which was really dangerous at that time. Or you would find a believer that would say, oh, believe in Christ? Come home with me. You can stay with me, right? A little different today in that, you know, that's one of Pastor Steve's Venable's positions here is that, you know, the missions pastor, he makes sure the missionaries are covered. You know, they've got the place. They're, we know where we're sending them. They're going to have the food. They're, they're covered, you know. And we want to do that as a responsible mission-sending organization. But those that are called, like you and me, maybe it's to go next door to the neighbor or maybe it's to go down the street to some place or to another city. You're always needing to be a missionary. Now, again, how much luggage you actually travel, that's, you know, that's on you. But I will say, be careful that you don't take a lot of emotional baggage. You know that there are things that you are holding on to, those hindrances from the true gospel of Christ setting you free that keep you from being able to share truly what he's done for you. I've learned this in my years of walking with the Lord, that what he takes me through and how he takes me and how I go through it with him is actually for the unpacking of what I used to be, used to think I was, 
had to be controlled by or was over me that I might be set free, that when I'm talking to somebody and I'm saying, God will provide for you, and they're like, oh, that's easy for you to say, I can say it is, because I've been there. I've lost my job. I've had to get food from a food pantry. I remember Janice and I making our kids Christmas gifts one year because we had no, no money to get them Christmas gifts. You know, you're just thanking God you're an artist because, you know, you can, I can paint a zebra on a t-shirt and here you go. It's like Santa brought, you know, I like, no, there was no Santa that year. I think that's the year we came clean, but, um, <laughs> like, yeah, that's dad's drawing and you're going to wear it. Okay. You know, it's, that wasn't the case, but no, no, it was the case, but anyway, um, but notice that as they go out there to share the message, share the good news, right? But they're not responsible for the response. There is no way, in fact, you don't want to try to convince somebody of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want the Holy Spirit to move upon their heart as you share truth, as you share the freedom, as you share the experience you've had, and then have him work in their lives that they might be then his child. And then he takes it from there, man. Everybody, there are no stepchildren in God's family. There's no grandchildren. Everybody's a child of God who comes to that relationship. We all have the same father relationship. And so you want that next person to have it too. But note that you're not responsible for it. You preach, you know, you share that good news. And if they won't receive it, you dust off your shoes and you move on. Because another thing that I've learned over this time of being a disciple and follower is I'm a part of somebody's journey just as there were people that were part of mine. You know, so it's not that I have to throw the seed, harvest the seed, you know, or, or tend the seed and then harvest it. Now, sometimes God gives you that privilege if you have that kind of relationship. Maybe it's more in the family situation, right? But you don't always have that much time with people. So make sure you leave them with the tending to the garden of God's purpose in their life with what you were supposed to. You plant, you water, God willing, you get to help reap by the Holy Spirit. But remember, it's always God that gives the increase. So we're just vessels, right? But, but just note that you're not responsible. Just don't beat yourself up. If you're like, man, I thought I was really hitting it today. I, yeah, I thought I was going to bring that fish home. You know, it's like, no, don't talk like that. It's like, it's God's, he's the fisher, you just go and you water, you plant, you sow, you help weed maybe a little bit, you know? And then he's the one that does the work in their lives. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. We, if we can talk somebody into Christ, somebody else can talk them out. And we know there's plenty of false doctrine and teachers and, man, bombardment from the world out there, as we learned in the parable of the sower, right? That's just seeking to choke, to rip out, to eat and have it go away, you know, in no way even having it, you know, take root, you know, but, but again, he sends them and they go, you know, so again, where is God calling you? Matthew 28, 19, we all get that word, you know, to go. And yet it might be to go next door. It might be to go around the world. It might be to go to your neighborhood, to your community. We are all goers in the kingdom. You know, that's why I love this because it just really breaks it down as to, man, how we all are now as disciples, this active word going out. Now, Herod the Tetriarch heard, verse 7, of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John the Baptist, right, had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen. Herod said, 
John I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So he, he, so he sought to see him. He sought to know who Jesus was. Now again, you know, this is Herod who was, you know, taking his brother's wife. John the Baptist had rebuked him. So, you know, then the whole, you know, dancing before Herod and the little servant girl, and she's, you know, her mother's like, you know, tell him you want the head, which was the woman that he was sleeping with. And so, big bloody mess. King feels pressured, has John the Baptist beheaded for no cause other than his wife's anger. And now he's feeling guilty. And he's like, oh my gosh, did this guy come back from the dead? And you got to figure John the Baptist and Jesus being, you know, like first cousins. They're, you know, they probably looked similar. So Herod might be like, what's he look like? Oh my gosh, that sounds just like John. You know, this guy's going to be living in constant fear because of his sin, because of where he's put himself. He's, he's guilt ridden, right? And so he's like, I got to find out. I got to, I got to see who it is. He's not going to be able to. Why? Because he's living in sin. He's got sin blocking him, clouding him. You know, as a youth pastor, I would see young people come to the Lord and have incredible experiences of miraculous transformation and goodness in their lives. And then all of a sudden, things would start to go wrong, like things happening and bad choices. And it's like, what's going on? Well, sure enough, they had wavered from the truth. And it's like, it's, I just break it down simple, man. Sin makes you stupid. You think you're going in the right direction, and then you start making those choices against Christ, against the wisdom that is from above, against the promises that he makes you, and you're removing yourself from that place. So this is where Herod finds himself, man. He's, he's out there, and he doesn't, he doesn't know what's going on. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately to a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. So note, though, with me, this is what's so interesting about this verse. So he sends out his disciples, right, right back in verse 1, and then all of a sudden they come back apostles. He sends out boys, he gets back men. I, I mean, that's just a little play on words there to get you to understand what's happening here. You are called, you are a disciple, but then you also are gifted and given a calling. When he appointed them and gave them power and authority, he also gave them that calling of apostle. Now, in our English language, the word apostle basically breaks down into missionary. It, it basically is literally one sent out. So we just go, oh, that's a missionary, one that's sent out. Now, we're all sent out in a sense, right? We all have the ministry of reconciliation, the scripture says we've been given, but that ministry of reconciliation comes through four specific giftings or purposes that we're told God gives to the church from Ephesians chapter 4. One is that he sends out apostles, right? He also sends out prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. Pastor teachers seems like two, but it's actually one word because you can't really pastor without teaching. And when you're teaching, you've also got to be able to have a compassionate heart or you're not going to be teaching with the right heart, right? So... It's all of that together. And I just observed that. I thought, you know, as he sends them out and he wants this word to go forth, he wants his preaching to go forth, it really does come in these different forms, right? Like when you're thinking of a prophet, a prophet is given that gift for what? Revelation. Know something 
is able to say something that is a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, the Holy Spirit working through that way. An evangelist. That's a little bit easier of a one to see how reconciliation comes to an evangelist, right? Preaches the word. It can be as simple as all get out. The crowd comes forward. Reconciliation with God Almighty. Just from sharing the truth of the gospel, but because the power of the Spirit is working in that way, in that man or woman, because those four callings, I know that God gives those giftings to men as he calls them to lead the church, but all the spiritual giftings, if you do your study from Corinthians and, and Romans and Ephesians, right, of the gifts of the Spirit, they all fall under those four categories. And each one of you is gifted in that way. Now, in the proper authority of God, but we all have that, right? And then there's the pastor-teacher. So the idea then of how does reconciliation come? By teaching truth, by encouraging, exampling how it happens. I just see that being very clear, that they're sent out as like mere followers of Christ. They come back very specific to what their call is now in Christ. And that should be each one of us, aware of that and looking for that, right? So keep that in mind, right? That's why, again, it's so important that... As, as we teach students to do, have an on-the-mount time, as I just say it to you as an adult, get away with Jesus. That's what he does with them. He takes them away to a deserted place. Have that time. And let me tell you, you've got to fight for it because this world wants you to distract from it. Your flesh doesn't want to sit there and think it's really going to hear something supernatural from God Almighty. I don't know. I'd rather have a Sunday. You know, whatever it is, it's going to be a distraction. And you have an enemy that maybe shows up in the cat that won't leave you alone or the dog that won't start barking. I don't know. But I just know you need that time to hear Jesus speak. It is the comfort. It's the strength. It's the assurance we need, especially in a time of trouble. It's not about how we got here. It's not about how this happened. It's, it is truly, where am I now today to deal with it? That's where Christ gets glorified in these times of trouble. Because his, his ultimate goal is draw close to me, trust in me. That's what he's teaching his disciples as he was sending them out, right? So, verse 11, but when the multitude knew, knew it, they followed him. And he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. So, again, Jesus thinks he's drawing away with his, you know, his posse, and he gets to this place, and the multitude is there. Oh, man. Now, Mark chapter 6, a little bit more enlightening about this is the, the, the disciples are tired. They haven't even eaten, and the ministry's been intense, and they think they're getting away, and all of a sudden, the crowd shows up. Hey, we heard Jesus is here. Hey, we hear he does this stuff. We hear he's, you know. And what does he do? He receives them. He welcomes them. This is the heart of ministry. Being where you need to be for him to serve another in his name. And, and just really extending yourself as he extends himself through you. Wherever that is, wherever that is, you're always looking for those opportunities to share him, to share him with another, right? I just see it. I mean, to me, this is like true ministry. It's never convenient. It's just, man where you need to be. And that's, isn't that why we gather together? Again, something else it shares in Ephesians 4 is that we come together for the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry so that we can go out and we can have that experience of ministering and, and being, being ready in season and out of season. Not nine to five, but all times, all anytime, right? 
When the day began to wear away and the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and countries and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all of these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of 50. And they, said, and, and they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looked up to heaven. He blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples and set before, to set before the multitude. So they had all, so they all ate and were filled and 12 baskets of leftover fragments were taken up by them. So, again, this miraculous miracle of Jesus of, t- of feeding the 5,000. Again, you know, there's no place like McDonald's to go. So we got to go away. We got to buy food. You know, again, Mark's gospel giving us a little bit more insight. Or is John chapter 6. It says it, it, it'll cost more than 2,000, you know, 200 denarii to feed them. And so the, the impossibleness of Because, of course, it says that there's 5,000 men, but we're also... There's got to be some wives in there. Come on, it's the multitude. It's not just a bunch of men following around. So, what do you, you know? If everybody's got a wife, we're talking ten thousand. You think you know they're, they're leaving the kids at home? I don't think so. Who knows how many that were actually fed from this miracle? Right? Five loaves, two fish. Jesus has them sit down, and then he what? He blesses the food. Now. You know, hopefully, you know, you, you say grace before dinner or you raised your kids up to say grace before dinner. We bless the food. Now, it's not that, I mean, we make jokes about it, especially if you go to, you know, you're in the mission world and you're, you know, you get something set before you and you're like, oh, what is that? It kind of looks like eyeballs, but I'm not going to question, you know, whatever, you know, you're just kind of, can we bless it? <laughs> and you're like, oh, Lord, bless this won't make me sick. That's not the idea of saying grace, although we joke about that, you know. Um, Bless it and eat it, you know. It it is actually a blessing for the food. You're blessing God. It's taking you back to that heart of thanksgiving that God is always talking about us having, especially when we go to him in prayer. We're going before him. Come with hearts of thanksgiving, we're told, you know. It's God always wants us to recognize, really, you didn't wake up today because... You know, of your own gathering. He not only woke you up, he not only gave you breath in your lungs, but he kept your heart beating all night while you were asleep. It's like the thankfulness of recognizing that our life does exist in him. And so when we have food, even if it's a donut from Super One, you ate it this morning, you should be, Lord, thank you for this donut, man. It's so good. It's exactly what I needed. I don't know. But the, the, the miraculous happens. Again, there could have been maybe 11,000 here. But again, the real miracle here is everybody eats and they pick up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Now, check this out. That's one basket per disciple. So as Jesus here is trying to say, what you give, what you offer, what you put before me, what you bless, because I've actually provided for you, I will multiply that back to you. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. That doesn't mean you're going to eat bread and fish your whole life. It means that what you have, what God has given, for you to thank him for it and give it back, he will multiply it to you. 
it comes back, right? It, I, I just love this. Jesus tells them what to do. They do it. They see the miracle, and it goes forward. Now, note that Jesus did tell them to do it. They're like, Lord, a lot of people out here. What are we going to do? What are you going to do? And he goes, you feed them. Oh, we got one guy's lunch here. Not sure how that's going to work. Bless it. Offer it to my father. Let him multiply it back. Now, again, these stories, these miracles, these truths were taught that we might be sensitive to when the Lord says that to us now. What do you have? What's he given you? How do you bless him, thank him for it? And then it ends up returning for you to bless another and coming back then with leftovers for you. Just the the goodness of God, right? And how it multiplies out. I love this. If anybody left this party hungry, it's because they chose not to eat from God's provision. So what is God putting before you today? What's that meal? I remember when I was asked to step up into the pastorate, and I was like, oh, that's no, thank you. This is not where I want to be. I don't like talking in front of people. I don't like standing in front of people. I don't, I don't read. I'm, you know, I was in art class my whole life, right? So I'm not going to say I'm illiterate because now I have learned to read because God you know, works miracles. But you hear how I stumble sometimes with the words or sometimes I'm staring at a word going, okay, the, and then we move on. You know, it's just, <laughs> this is my life. I'm sorry. But... Um, but, but, but I remember calling a pastor in California because Jan and I, we'd gone to Chicago and this is where that all happened. But we came out of a church in California and I was really friends with the, good friends with the um, pastor, there, the, one of the assistants. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're asking me to be a pastor. And, I, you know, I didn't, I, no seminary, nothing like that, no background, you know. And it's like, this doesn't seem right. Like, what, am I, what should I do? And he just goes, dude, bro, you got to eat the plate that God puts in front of you. Wow. Like, it was just one of those sick kind of California revelations, you know, of God's voice speaking like a surfer. But it was like, you got to eat what God puts in front of you. You got to eat what God puts in front of you. Right? It's not about what somebody else gets to eat. It's not about whether I'd rather have a different meal. What is he giving me to eat? What am I thanking him for, blessing him for, than watching it be multiplied? A gift? a calling, a future, a hope, right? It's all there in Christ. Are you willing to eat what he puts in front of you? Or, you know, in today's, you know, there's a lot of picky kids out there, picky kid eaters. I don't know. We never had to clean our plates when I was a kid, but you know you better eat what's put in front of you. You know, mama been cooking that meal. And it was just a different time growing up, but this is what God wants us to understand. And, And so watch that. You know, you, you're just really receiving it. And receive the whole basket of it, right? Because this is what God is doing. He, and if he calls you to something like the pastorate, then he's going to enable you to be it, to do it. But remember, a preacher is the one just delivering a message. He's not a guy that gets to stand on a platform and, you know, raise his voice and, you know, hold the Bible up and point at people and, you know, all that kind of stuff. No, it's, it's just being able to share. And it happened as it was, verse, uh, as, as he was. See, there you go. <laughs> See, I'm proving that I can't do this. In verse 18, and it happened as he was 
alone praying, that his disciples joined him, and he asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others say one of the old prophets that's been risen again. And then Jesus said, he said to them, But who do you say that I am? That is a question every one of you must answer this morning before you walk out of here to know what he's got for you out there. Who is he to you, right? Because, I mean, the, the first thing is, what's the popular, what, 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 who, do they, who do they say I am? What's the population say? What's the, the political correct thing, you know? And what are they saying? Well, some say you're this, some say you're that, you know. Some say you're a good teacher, some say you were a good prophet, some say you're a good man. And that's that Christ-likeness that, you know, of, or that inner Christ, or I don't know what the New Age people are saying, but it has something to do with that. And uh, I, I don't have time for a lot of the study of the, <laughs> the false. I just got to focus on the truth. But, you know, who he truly was, though, as Peter then, you know, says it, absolute from God above, the Christ of God. Now, just in case you're not sure, Christ is his calling. It's his position. Christ is the Greek word that means Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew word of who God was promising would come to deliver his people. The word Messiah means the anointed one, the anointed one of God. So Peter is saying you are the anointed one of God. Jesus, right? Jesus is his name. Christ, his title or his place here. Of course, God's, you know, who he is. So I guess Messiah Christ is more his job. That's a kind of a bad thing. It's his ministry. It's a bad word to use. But this is what I'm just trying to get across to you so you understand you have that calling. Who are you in Christ is based on who he is to you. Who do you say that he is? It really does matter. How do you look at him and his influence in your life as the one who is your deliverer, the anointed one? Because how your problem, your situation, your circumstance right now in life that is overwhelming, confusing, maybe even seductive or distracting, how big that is and how big he is, will be how right your answer is to walk. You know, how does he guide you? And of course, where do you find that? In his word. That's where we all need to be. That's why I run to it. That's why you all need to run to it. What is he saying to me? I'm his child. I'm his disciple. I have a calling. I have a gifting to be before people and talk and share to preach. So do you, each one of us, right? So that's what we have to be sensitive to. It's not, man, that he's just another good guy. Peter is absolutely sure. He's confident at who he is. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. And, of course, we know other places were shared that flesh and blood didn't reveal that to Peter. It was a revelation from God. So if you understand Jesus as the son of God, as the anointed one, as the one who's touched your life, then you have had a revelation from God. Peter ain't no more somewhere else than you aren't. Peter's not higher here and you're... No, you've been spoken to by the living God to know that his son is with you. You are reconciled to him through his son, right? And the spirit moves. 
And he strictly warned and commanded them to to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised the third day. So Jesus, you know, interesting, it's like, tell no one. So after this great revelation, right, shares the, it basically gets the, who he is. Now he shares the purpose of his coming, that he must suffer these things. But of course, then he's going to also share that he must raise again, because Jesus doesn't share about the death without sharing about the resurrection, because without the resurrection, there is no hope. The death was was the power and the gift and what we proclaim with communion. But the resurrection was the assurance and the future and the promise to us all. And he's going to get into that as he talks about now you die and you'll gain resurrection life. You die to life, right? And this is what he's telling us. But anyway, he, he doesn't want them to share it now. Why? Because it's not his time for that to be revealed. Now, he's, he's sharing this more intimately. He's sharing this in a place where he wants them to know, because, of course, they're going to be the ones that see it and have to more relate to it, right? But, you know, the Jews were looking for a national hero. They wanted a political warrior to come in and rescue their culture, their people, their nation, separate, you know, beat down the Romans, and we take over the world, you know, the Jewish nation. And, of course, that's not what it was going to be. What Christ came to do was to beat down, destroy, and to put to death sin nature, that they might be able to walk now in unity, reconciled to God Almighty. And that's what this revelation is more for, and and what he wants them to truly understand. Then he said to them all, if, conditional, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. I like the fact that Luke sticks that word. Remember, Luke's a doctor, and he likes these little detail things. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my word. I find it interesting that God puts both those in there. Who's ever ashamed of me and my word? I have sometimes stumbled across, let's just, let's just say they're inspirational speakers on TV. Now, they might have a church name or proclaim themselves to be church, but they're very much uh, inspirational speakers. They're going to pump you up, and they're going to use some truth of word, but they're not representing Jesus in their manner or direction or desire of life. So I find it interesting that he says both. Don't be ashamed of me. Don't just stick my words of wisdom. I mean, you read this. This is wisdom from above. You share scripture and, and people are like, oh, that's the truth, you know? Amen. But what, who's the Jesus that's supposed to be exampling it to it or my belief in who delivered that truth? Because I know a lot of people that'll proclaim truth nuggets, but in no way want anything to do with a Lord leadership of Jesus Christ in their life. Right? There's, there's two sides to that. So I just think it's really interesting that he specifically says that. For what is it profit to a man if he gains the whole world? Oh, no, we were in the last verse. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words 
Of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and in his Father's and in the holy and, and of the holy angels. So we're talking about when God really comes back, that, that second coming, right? But he does make a conditional if. If you respond to me, want to follow Christ, want that hope of everlasting life, don't want to grieve like the world grieves, like it talks about in Thessalonians, but have a life abundant like it does talk about in Ephesians, this is the road. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me person and word, the word becoming the person, right? To example it to us. So it's lifestyle, but it's also what comes out of my mouth, right? If you confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is a belief in the world, the word that transforms my heart action, but it's also what comes out of my mouth and proclaims him as being true Lord, right? But first I need to deny myself. Now, does that mean I deny going to, you know, Chick-fil-A? Or something, I don't know. You know, it's not, this is not what he's talking about, self-denial. He's talking about denying of self, that we have a way to make it to heaven without the Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, through me, of me. That is that denial. I can't get there, I can't do this, I can't cleanse, I can't heal, I can't be anything close to holy. I need you, Jesus. I need a Savior. And that's what he's saying here, right? That, you know, deny self, right? And then you take up your cross daily. Now, this is something that gets confused because, you know, people, they marry the wrong person and they're like, that's my cross to bear. It's like, no, that was just your fault because you didn't pick right. Or I don't know what to tell you, but it's like, you know, my cross to bear is not my bald head. You know, it's like, it's not that stuff. And people will pull that one out of the, you know, it's like, this is my looks or my cross to bear. And I'm like, well, you know, but no, it's not. Your cross to bear, your denying of life is who you are now in Christ and the work, the calling, the purpose that he has created you for, given you life for. Literally, the spirit that was dead now has been raised, resurrected. By his spirit. And what is that life now that he has called you to, that he's given you to do in his name? Now, sometimes it's a devotional life of ministry. He's literally going to call you to be in full-time ministry someplace. That's, that's like, okay, not my life now anymore, but your life. Sometimes it's a combination of both. Like me, I'm bivocational, always have been. That's why I'm gone three, day, three weeks every six months. Because I go back to Chicago and I still teach at the Art Institute because that helps me to, to afford to be able to pastor and to serve in what he's called me to do spiritually. You know, it's, it's what, whatever that cross is, but his yoke is easy, his burden is light. So I know that the plate in front of me, I need to eat, but eat it for his glory and for his joy with the peace that I know he's called me to, right? And then lastly, of course, it's to follow him. Follow him. His way. Not my way, but his way. How do I deal with this? How do I look at this situation? How do I respond? Look what they're doing. Look what that did. Look what's in front of me. I got this need. I got... Read my word. Let me minister to you. Let me make my scripture your path. Right? In every way, acknowledge him and he will direct path.
that's what the word promises me. Don't lean on my own understanding. Right? If I'm saying, I got this one, God, I got a problem. Because I don't know what he would have for me to be in the midst of something, to be the witness and the testimony of him in the midst of that. That's what I have to know. And that's what he's saying here, right? You lose your life, you will actually gain it. Right? But you try to hold on to life, you'll lose it. Well, I don't want to die. You don't need to. Christ already did. And now he says, live for me, right? And, and notice that he does specifically say, lose your life for my sake. Don't lose it for your sake, for what so seductively can be your glory or your, you know, hey, this is what I do. I, you know, no, it is talking about truly how to have resurrected life now. Eternal life, remember, is a, is a, it, it, it's a condition of life. It's not a length of life. I don't want to die now and just live forever like this. I am expecting a much better condition of life eternally, but that condition of life starts now in life abundant. And being able to know that I walk with my Savior, I follow him, and his word directs me because I've abandoned myself to him. And you know what? When you do abandon that, he doesn't rip everything, like scrape you, and say, like, oh, now I got you. I can turn you into a Jesus freak, and we're going to do mighty things. No, you surrender that life to him, and you'll discover that what he made you, the desires that he gave you, all of a sudden he fulfills those things in you, and you're like, this is bomb. This is like this is great, man. I've always been an artist since I was born, man. It's in me. I could never get it out of me. And yet when I became a believer, I thought, oh, I've got to give up being an artist. Why? Well, because, you know, artists, I mean, it's kind of like a worthless thing. I mean, you know, when it comes to like world hunger, how does that ever help? You know, and, and yet I find myself now being able to do art that sells, that the proceeds go towards helping a starving kid. Helping a kid in need. I'm not going to be drama here. But just moving forward with his plan by the gifts and talents and the calling all working together for his purpose because I've abandoned that life I wanted, denied it, to follow him. Well, that's more the cross, what he's called for me to do, right? And I've embraced it. And, and, and I encourage all of you to do that. Look at Berta's life. You know, we just did Mike's mom's memorial, some of you that weren't here and stuff, a couple of weeks ago. And what a testimony, right, to a woman who denied herself, picked up her cross, it's sitting at a desk, even when she couldn't see and other people had to, to dial the phone for her to make a call, to connect with a person somewhere in the country who happened to be just sitting there and going, oh, Lord, why doesn't somebody care? And there's Berta. Hello, this is Berta. I'm Mike's mother. And, you know, and she and just has this story to share and this word of wisdom to give and revival and refreshment and healing takes place 2,000 miles away as a testimony. That's a calling and that's a place to be. And that's what we all want to be. So Jesus will draw you to depend on him through everything you go through because Jesus is all any of us need. And that's not a flippant statement. It can be in Christianity you know, sometimes you, tell, you say to somebody, I'm just so hurt, and they go like, well, just praise the Lord. Seek Jesus. And you're like, well, that's shallow. You got something better than that? You know, you got something you can give me? Give them Jesus. I've got a word for you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Here's a scripture. Here's something I went through. The 
blood of the lamb, the word of my testimony. And that's what it really is. But without the hard time to go through, to be drawn close to Jesus, you won't have it to give. So we just end today by saying, asking the question, who is he to you? Christian. Thank you for joining us as we studied the word this morning. If you would like more information about Salem Fellowship, please visit us on the web at salafellowship.org. While you are there, feel free to check out some of our other messages and past book studies. Thank you again, and God bless.